0: there resilient Rainer friends. You are going to love today's episode. We have got Alexis Mann on as a guest. She is a student at the University of Michigan and a non-pro Rainer. She was born without a right hand due to amniotic band syndrome. She rides amazing. And today we are talking all about the mental side of riding. We are, we get into all of it. We get into how your stresses out of the barn affect your time in the saddle, how you can show up for your horse and acknowledge your responsibility to create a good ride. We get into how you can embrace whatever season of life you're in with your horse for greater enjoyment. Um, Alexa shares how journaling has helped her learn the lessons she needed to learn about her riding to improve faster and shorten her learning curve. And I love Alexis's beautiful perspective on being curious and learning from other riders, from other barns and disciplines, because she has a beautiful perspective on always learning no matter who. She can learn from anyone and everyone. And that is definitely something that I hope all of you take out of this episode. And she shares something that she started doing that you can do too, that dramatically shifted the quality of her runs and she shares the mindset shift that she had to not be crushed after a bad run. She is just so sweet, and I know you were going to get so much out of this episode. Dive on in. I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, friends. Nicole here, and I want to start by saying a huge thank you to all of you readers and subscribers of the Resilient Rainer newsletter and podcast. I am truly honored and grateful. For the thousands of you who make up this amazing community. For those of you who love Resilient Rainer and have been asking for more, and for those of you who have been wondering how you can support me to do more of this work, I've got good news for you. Introducing Resilient Rainer Premium. This will give you more of the newsletter and podcast you love. As a Resilient Rainer Premium newsletter subscriber, you'll get additional exclusive newsletter episodes and podcasts just for Resilient Rainer Premium. Don't worry, I'll still be putting out free weekly newsletters and podcasts filled with mental coaching goodness for writers. For those of you begging for more, now you've got it. Just click the link in the show notes to sign up. Easy peasy. Welcome to the Resilient Rainer, the premier podcast podcast focused on mental performance for equestrians and improved horse show performance. Whether you're a rookie reiner or a seasoned competitor, this show is for riders who wanna take their skills to the next level and achieve their full potential in the show ring. I'm Nicole Burnett, and I'm a master mindset coach who's obsessed with helping you achieve all those horse dreams you always thought were impossible. Join me each week to develop a show-ready mindset and gain the competitive edge you need to compete with confidence. Welcome back, everyone. I am so thrilled to welcome Alexis Mann here today. She is a non-pro-rainer coming to us from Michigan, and she is currently Taking a semester off, and she's going to be a student at the University of Michigan in the fall. And Alexis is a really inspiring story. She was born without her right hand due to amniotic band syndrome. And that absolutely has not stopped her or slowed her down in the least. She shows NRHA with her mayor, Helen, who is a super cutie. And She's at Gunner's Special Nightmare, and they've had a ton of success together. Throughout her life, Alexis has struggled with confidence and just finding a way to fit in. I am so excited to have her on because that's what all of this Resilient reader stuff is about, is being resilient, finding your own inner confidence. And Alexis really works hard to just get 1% better each day, which I will shout from the rooftops. And so <laughs> she's just, such an inspiration to others around her. And she shares so much about um, inspiring others just to encourage them that they can really do anything they set their minds to. And so I am just so thrilled to have her here and to inspire all of you listeners today. So welcome, Alexis. Thank you so
1: much for having me on. I was so
0: excited. And just
1: thank you again for the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about Helen.
1: So Helen is nine this year, which is hard to believe. Um, I got her when she was five from Elizabeth Harton, who is located in Missouri. Helen's kind of background is she was uh, bred and raised by the McCutcheon in their training program. And she got hurt before the NRHA maturity. And so she just kind of got, had a baby, bounced around a little bit. And then I ended up getting her and. She's just been kind of like that horse that really took my career from zero to hero kind of thing. And she's just been wonderful. We've grown a lot together because she was pretty great when I got her. So just kind of growing together in that sense.
0: Yeah. And so how did you get into reining? So
1: when I was growing up, I had a horse named Squirt. He was a horse, but really probably should have been called a pony. He was pretty small. Um, and then a local trainer... Had some rainers. And so I took some lessons and I immediately logged there and then got a few rainers here and there and worked by scale effect to where I am and have a lot of goals in the future that I'd love to accomplish. So
0: it's really cool. So here's a would be kind of a fun question for you. How do you find that it's different showing and competing as a youth versus now the last couple years you're showing as a, you know, as a non youth here? Mm-hmm. You graduated. Yeah. I know.
1: Yeah, so I know. Now I'm that getting, transition. I know. I'm getting old. Um, I I think just how my career happened to unfold is my youth years weren't the greatest in my show career just because I uh, had just the horse caliber and I wasn't as great as a rider. But then as I started getting older and I got Helen when I was around a senior in high school. And so senior, junior, kind of year of high school. So just that. The stage of my life where I did become more successful than I have in the past. I was kind of in that non-pro stage. And it is different. And I think it's even different showing youth than when I was in youth. I think it's more competitive now. The horses are better. The riders are better. And I think it's one of those things that evolves every day. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because I think it's one of those things that um, I think people can really underestimate the difference that any sort of transition can have on. Your confidence and what it's like to compete like that, because you know you may or may not think, "Oh, youth to non-pro," but it's a big difference. It's kind of like how high school athletes transitioning to college; it can be a big Mm -hmm. change, and you have to still find and develop your confidence to make that transition because it doesn't just happen. And so, I think that that's really inspiring to both youth riders because it can really kind of throw you for a loop to go from showing as a youth to showing as a rookie or a non-pro and then even for adults if you take time off for college or a job or kids and then you come back and so just that transition can really throw people so tell us is there anything that was helpful for you in doing that or yeah I had some really great trainers
1: I think around that point of my career when I was my later years of youth I had the opportunity to ride with Sean Sean Flareda, and he really grew my confidence a ton. I was able to show one of his horses, and that was really the turning point in my career um, was to be able to do that, learn from Sean, and he's successful for a reason. He's confident. He's confident in his abilities, and so learning from that, even from a non-pro kind of aspect of it, and then the next year, my first kind of year out of the youth, I was a student at the University of Finley, so I was riding horses all day, every day getting time in the saddle. And that was a huge helping um, with my confidence in reigning. And then I went on to the University of Tennessee at Martin and I was on their Division One equestrian team and learning tips and tricks on that. That helped a lot in my show career with Helen the last few years. And I honestly think kind of like anything, the more you're either stressed or worried about, learn about it, become a student of it, learn as much as you can. And that way, the more knowledge you have, the less anxiety or stress you're going to have about it.
0: Mm -hmm. I hear you saying that it was really helpful to you to face all these sorts of fears head on because the boogeyman in your head is a lot worse than the boogeyman in reality. Yes, 100%. That's really cool. Well, so tell me some more about that and just kind of the things you did that helped build your confidence. Because I hear you talking about time in the saddle and building competency because there's absolutely that, you know, competency influencing your confidence. And also, it sounds like you had some mentors helping, you know, coach you through along mentally. So tell me more about all that.
1: Um, I think what I found personally, and again, this is like a lifelong kind of knowledge thing, like I don't have it figured out all the way and I probably never will. It's just kind of those things where you evolve all the time. But for me personally, and it kind of struck a chord with me is my problems inside the arena were kind of reflections of my problems outside of the arena. So if I wasn't confident about myself as a person or how I look, that's going to show up in the arena, even though you're not thinking about it, just subconsciously your brain's thinking of, oh, I'm not good enough in this aspect. So when tensions rise, nervous rise, that kind of thing. It just kind of magnifies it. But in a different way that you might not even realize that that is the trigger for it.
0: Yeah, that's really insightful because I think that it's so human to want to compartmentalize everything in our life instead of thinking like, you know, like it's winter right now. And so it's hard to think about, like, gosh, my car slipped on this patch of ice when I'm driving to the barn. And then you go to get on and ride and you're kind of all and you're like, no, no, that's got to be totally separate. So even in just those tiniest ways that it's absolutely so interconnected. Nothing happens in a vacuum.
1: No. And I think a lot. I I know I personally used to do this. I used to separate horses from my personal life, like, oh, to escape my personal life, I'm going to go spend time at the barn or ride or stuff like that. But. As the older I get, the more I'm finding out is the more I help myself in my personal life, whether that's academics, fitness, mental, it it portrays in the arena, shows in the show results and stuff like that. And that's what I found personally is the more I kind of take care of myself in the physical outside of the horse world, the more I see the result in the horse world. Yes, horses are very therapeutic and I definitely agree. Like escaping to the barn is wonderful. But I found personally that it goes both ways to show up both ways.
0: It's really interesting because one thing I think that also really common is that as first people, we love our horses and we want to spoil them and, you know, take really good care of them and give them all the carrots and all the treats and (laughs) all the fancy therapies. And I hear you saying, too, that one of the ways that's helped you to show up better for your horse is also to use a very non-descriptive word, some (laughs) self-care, right? Because I hear you talking about you're finding that balance of self-care and it has to be a little bit more balanced. It's not only the horses and, you know, and nothing for Alexis.
1: And I found that out personally through failure. I would have a bad rider. My horse was fine. My horse was great. Listened to exactly what I told them, but it wasn't what I was supposed to. And so just realizing that Not only are our horses athletes, but we're athletes. You look at Andrea, Sean, any, I mean, in any discipline, the higher up, they're athletes just as much. And I think in order for non-pros to be as successful is you have to think of yourself as an athlete. Yeah, you're not like an Olympic athlete per se, like the big names are, but you're still an athlete in your sport. And I think taking care of that mindset, not only is my horse an athlete, but I have to show up for my team as well. We're expecting our horses to do so much for us and they do so much for us. But if you can't show up for them, then it's kind of one-sided. And I know when I was younger, I used to miss their concept 100%. Um, it would be like, why isn't my horse doing this or this or this? But <laughs> the more I showed up for my horse as well, mentally, physically, making sure I got enough sleep, I can rely on them just as much as they rely on me.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that the more people I talk to, it's, I really love this for all the equestrian sports is that it doesn't matter, non pro or pro, there's a big mindset shift that happens where people say, like, I really started, you know, doing better and feeling better when I treated myself as an athlete. And I think, particularly for non pros, this is a really big deal. And so I love Mm -hmm. that you're bringing it up because I think that it can be real or it can be just real in your head, which makes it Mm -hmm. real. And so I never look down on anyone because you're kind of like, well, if it's in your brain, it's real enough for you. And I feel a little embarrassed to be like, oh, well, I'm a non-pro. I'm not Sean Flaherty. I'm not Mm Andre Papani. I'm not an Olympic athlete. Isn't it presumptuous of me to think of myself as an athlete? Like, Am I being too uppity or this is my hobby? Like, I should have been taking it seriously. How do I balance having fun with my hobby, with being a serious athlete? And so there's a lot of like stuff that you're sorting out mentally that when you do and you start, you're like, no, I am an athlete. My horse is an athlete and I'm half that equation that are really Mm -hmm. like the big shift that, you know, changes a lot.
1: I think honestly, what will help a lot of people is what are your goals? Are your goals to make the non-pro maturity finals, derby finals, or is your goal just to have fun on the weekend? And I think that goal really determines on how serious of an athlete you are. I mean, I heard a podcast the other day talking about marathon runners. You have people that finish it in 13 minutes and you have your people that are so happy they just finished it. Wherever you fall on that spectrum is, don't want to be I just don't want riders to be, well, I just want to be a weekend kind of warrior. I don't want to go to, I don't want to do. I go there for fun. And so I don't want to put in all the work that a non-pro futurity finalist would kind of do. So I think that where your goals are will really, really help you not only feel more happy in the sport and then kind of adjust what you're going to do to get there.
0: Yeah, I love that. Because I hear you saying that Knowing what your goals are and knowing what your why is, it really helps. It's taking the pressure off because it's saying Mm -hmm. you're either that this is a time in your life when you can devote a little bit less time and energy. And so that's okay. Then you can be all in and take all the guilt, take all the pressure off. Or Mm -hmm. if it's a time when you're like, no, this is really a time when I want to put a lot of time and energy in then own that and don't be ashamed of that either, because that really just clarifies so many of your decisions.
1: And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck in life, really, Um, is especially with social media. It's probably made it 10 times worse as we like to compare of like, okay, I have a 69 horse, but man, why am I not getting 72? What am I doing wrong? And then we get really frustrated or vice versa of I have a 72 horse, but my friend has a 74 and winning everything. Like, what am I doing wrong? And so I think just doing a lot of like, this is my goals, this is the horse that I have and setting realistic goals and nothing wrong with dreaming big, go for it, girl. But just making sure that you can set even little goals at the start to make sure that you're still enjoying this because at the end of the day, we do this to enjoy and we love our horses and we're not in the positions like horse trainers where this is our livelihood. All um, right. So just take advantage of that and enjoy it.
0: Yeah. And I think another way even to put that, because again, we're like getting right into the meat and potatoes right at the beginning here. <laughs> I think just go for it. Instead, <laughs> you know, is that there's these kind of uncomfortable things that especially if you haven't said them out loud before, it's kind of you're like, I might stumble over my words here. I'm trying to express this uncomfortable idea because one things I'm hearing you saying when it comes to gold is that because again, we find ourselves at different points in our lives. We have different amounts of time, different resources, all sorts of things. And so when it comes to setting goals, it can feel like a letdown to ourselves, or a letdown or an embarrassment to say like, oh, well, my goal is not to win the fraternity this year. My goal is like, I want to go to my four local shows this year. That's my mm-hmm. big And that's how I like to phrase it too, is, you know, you're already starting to shift from like, oh, well, don't be afraid of not making big goals or setting realistic goals. But I like to phrase it a lot more of how you're getting into just set like small goals, like that you might have a big goal. So even there, like your local show circuit, but it's finding those small moments of progress because that is, you know, how you get to your big goals is through those little goals, right? Where you're like, I'm going to go and I'm going to get zero penalties in this run. Or I'm, you know, and so just really, dialing in on those small goals, because then the other thing that allows you to do is that really allows you to feel good about yourself,
1: Mm -hmm. right?
0: Because instead of focusing on you've got a 72 horse and your friend has a 74 horse, you're like, no, we had all of our lead changes were dead on center. Mm -hmm. We had no penalties. This is amazing. And you just start dialing in on your goals and your horse. Mm -hmm. And then it brings so much joy when you really- Or focused on you instead of how you're not as good as somebody else. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah.
1: And that I really liked raining when I first got into it, just because it is a kind of an individual sport, meaning like your only ride that, that you should base it on is your last one, not your friends, not your teammates. Yeah. Your teammate is your horse. And so you can really there's a lot of chances for self-development in that.
0: There really are. Yeah, it's really like a cool. It's just a cool balance, you know, and I i think a lot of these different horse disciplines are the same, but like with reining. And I'm sure you see it all the time where you're like, well, I know that horse is a 74 horse and this horse is not. But, you know, depending on how you ride and how focused you are, like, it's not predetermined at all. You know, no. So it's, no. it kind of keeps pulling you back. You're like, who knows? You know, you never know yeah. what's going to happen. For sure.
1: For sure. A hundred percent.
0: Well, that's awesome. So tell me how riding a bunch of different horses influenced your development of confidence. What It sounds like that was a part of it. So what did that do for you? Um,
1: So in my youth career, and this is a big change between my youth career and then now I'm sort of going back to that now that I'm completely changing my life, but I would have lessons about once or twice a week. And that was all I'd ride because my horse was there. I'd go and I didn't really have trainers close. So it was a really far drive. And then once I started riding more, I was riding three to four a day. And so that adds up. That's like uh, within a week, I'm having almost a month worth of lessons and kind of just like putting your reps in. The more time you're going to go to the gym, the faster you're going to get results, the more time. It's kind of not the amount of time, but how many reps you put in. And so I was putting in a lot more reps. So I was seeing a lot of more positive or negative feedback very quicker so instead of making the same mistake our month because I'd only ride four times I was making those four times in a day or two days and I think putting more reps in that really helped me of like okay this is what I do really well and what are my weaknesses are and so when I'd go show I'd be like okay I really know that I need to make sure my lead changes are great or okay I feel confident in how I turn and so just kind of putting those reps in that really made me more confident in where my weaknesses are, where my strengths were.
0: Well, it sounds like you're also pretty self-aware. And so you're learning those lessons because, you know, you're noting things like, oh, I rode these three horses and, oh, they all made that same mistake. Wait, that was me, you know? (laughs) And so it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So just bringing that awareness, because I think that's definitely a practice that people can take away even with one horse of, Taking a minute after your ride and noting like what went well, where can you improve, and then you can learn those lessons a lot faster.
1: And I would personally recommend for anybody that has the time or wants to dedicate that that is honestly after every lesson or every ride, kind of maybe create a journal of like, okay, this is what I did really well, this is what I did not do well, this is my goal for, and it doesn't even have to be a page long. It could be a sentence of that way you're just kind of internalizing it because. There are a whole bunch of studies on it, but the more you write stuff down, the easier you are to remember it. So when you get back in that saddle, you're like, boom, okay, I sucked at lead changes. I need to really make sure I set my horse up properly because that's one of my weaknesses is setting my horse up properly for those lead changes um, where another area of the arena I might be good at. (laughs) And so the more you kind of can self-reflect and write it down, the more you remember it and even have a discussion with your trainer of like, hey, I keep making these same mistakes. Can you help me? Because sometimes even those conversations aren't had when they should be had.
0: Cool. Well, how did you manage the mental aspect of riding all these different horses and switching from one to another because they are <laughs> they are not the same?
1: <laughs> no, for sure. And when I went to Findlay, they knew I had such a riding background that they gave me every all-around horse they ever had there. And so that was um, a complete transition, but I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I think, I truly think, and we see a lot of these riders that come from the AQAJ circuit or another discipline and their reiners move differently, but it's actually better. I don't think enough is talked about how different disciplines can help each other out in a way of how a cutting horse, how they're more relaxed, may come over to the reiners, make them more relaxed, run those circles a little prettier or how the rainers stop, it can contribute to a lot of things. And I think that there's nothing wrong with riding a few AQHA horses, hunter horses, and seeing, okay, I can bring this to my rainers, or maybe not this to my rainers, but this is what my rainers can bring to this horse. And so that was really cool to kind of play around with that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I I love that. I'll admit, one of the things that like, because for a long time, lead changes just felt like, Mm I don't know, elusive to me. And so I love to watch the jumpers, like hunter jumper. And I just tell myself, I was like, those people, those horses just have their nose out and they're just like swapping leads. And I was like, if they can do that, I was like, I can do that, you know? So just figuring out like how to find an inspiration and how to find something that you're like, yeah, I could take something from that. Like
1: Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent.
0: So you're saying like one of the things that really helped you in the saddle was sorting out all of your feelings and confidence and all of the out-of-the-saddle stuff. So mm-hmm. what were some of the the habits or the things that you did that helped you with that? Um,
1: Again, this is always like a learning process. Like, I'm super excited. I'm spending a lot of time right now working on my mental health and strengthening that. So I'm excited to see how I, that can portray in the list show season. But just, I started kind of learning about it I didn't really know a lot about I knew like okay mental health go to therapy like that's was basically the little knowledge I had of it so I became a student of it different techniques what it at different athletes entrepreneurs years um that kind of you can always learn from somebody so I tried to learn everything I could about it I became a student of it and then I tried to think of ways I could put that to horses so as I'm riding around, I'm taking deep breaths, like in the warm-up, taking deep breaths, thinking of kind of affirmations. And you're probably like, well, that's silly. There's like a million things going on. And there is. Um, and you gotta be listening to your trainer. But even if you're just walking your horse after loping, just take a minute, deep breaths, visualize your run going really, really well. And also, I rode with Robin Schuler this year and I absolutely loved it. And one thing that his assistant Cole would always tell me was, okay, you put in the reps, trust it, go have fun. Trust that all the rides you're doing. Because I think, I know I used to do this all the time. Of I get to show day and I would forget I spent hours preparing for this. I'd be like, oh man, like I'm not prepared. (laughs) Where kind of set back and go, okay, I spent coming into whenever you're showing first this year, I spent months working on this. I got to trust it of what me and my horse are. Trust that process, trust your reps. Even if it doesn't go perfectly, have confidence, trust that you put the work in and that you want to go have fun. And I found that really helped me this year in a lot of ways. Just kind of having that mindset right before I go in, it kind of quieted down a lot of like, oh, my God, what does this happen? What does this happen? What does this happen? And that really helped me a lot.
0: Yeah, I hear you sharing that. And I love to do all these same things. But, you know, deep breathing, because this cool thing about breathing is that it really does change your brain and your biology like it's it's incredible and so breathing visualizing affirmations that they really help and then trusting the training trusting Mm -hmm. how you're putting it trusting your reps and so you're like yes I've done I've done what I need to do Mm -hmm. and it's how
1: I kind of put in when I applied to Michigan okay I did absolutely everything that I could Everything is going to be up to chance, whether the horse behaves or whatever, but just know going in, okay, I did absolutely everything, the best I could do. So whatever happens in there is a reflection of, okay, this is what I need to do better or, or, hey, it really worked out. Um, And breathing is really interesting, especially since horses can feel our movements and feelings so quickly that they can feel when your heart is going like a million miles an hour. So if you can kind of slow that down, that's just one last thing that they're like, anxious about or nervous about you just kind of going back to your team as well so doing your part for the team
0: so tell me a little bit about how have you because there is this back and forth with our horses and Mm -hmm. i know a lot of times riders can want to and do rely on their horse right it's why you're like well that's why i bought my fancy pants horsey here right cover my mistakes take care of me that's why I have that horse. That's why I have them yes. that I'm supposed to be able to allow to mess up all I want. And so, so how do you kind of balance? Like, you know, there's kind of a growth from my horse is taking care of me. My horse is giving me confidence to I'm an athlete. We're a team. I'm providing mm-hmm. confidence to my horse. Like what is your kind of experience growing through that give and take there?
1: Um, gosh, I think mine. It, it's definitely. I feel like a more older kind of thought process. Like when you're a youth, it's about fun and just going through it. But as you get older, it really changed. And I think for me, the biggest change for that was the horse I showed um, when I rode with Sean was one of those horses where he took care of me. Like he got me through the pattern, helped my mistake. Like he was there. For, me. for Helen, she was a little greener. So if I messed up, she would mess up with me. Not to be bad, but I asked for a lead change and she did it even though it wasn't in the right spot per se. And so I think that was the biggest aspect of growing with Helen was I came from Frecklefoot who would take care of me to Helen who didn't really know any better. Now she's obviously grown so much and kind of it's become that horse. But starting out, it was kind of like learning that, okay, this horse is a little greener. I need to show up for this horse as well. And I think a lot of people experience that going from their youth horse to their first aged event horse. I think that's a huge transition a lot of people make.
0: Did you find that difficult mentally or did it feel like a, a natural progression as you were going through it?
1: Oh, it was hard. I'm not going to sh- sugarcoat that at all. It was hard. And I was very fortunate and I had success with Helen very early. Like the first show I ever had her, we went and did really well. I don't know. So at first it was kind of like an expectation of like okay we're gonna do well we did fine and then once we started having little slip ups here and there of okay she's anticipating you now just we've all been there (laughs) Um, and so just learning of even today I'm still learning how to do it still learning how can I show up for her because she's showing up for me and we invest so much money in them so much time which rightfully so but we need to invest ourselves also if we really want to make this folk team.
0: Well, so as you're doing this and you're going from, you know, a youth to writing with Sean Flair to writing at Finley mm-hmm. in Tennessee, like you would have been exposed to quite a few different, you know, mentors and role models. Like how have these different people inspired you in through raining and kind of shaped your mental approach to the sport?
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, Sean was really my first kind of very serious barn and I'm very thankful for that experience of just the professionalism and there's still a lot of things even just horse care that I still use today and Finley horse care is just you can learn from so many different people and even if it's just one thing that they do like how they brush their horse because I just got finished reading Atomic Habit and I saw so many ways that you can apply this to horses it was just essentially How little habits can change your life or your career. They talked about how a cycling team changed, like the color of the bikes, or little minute details like that. And so, if you can change little minute details that you learn from a trainer, a friend, a coworker, a competitor, that those can add up over time. And I think that was the biggest thing of just seeing. It's kind of like the saying: "Take what you want, leave what you don't." And You can apply that in so many ways, but that's kind of what I thought of. I can apply this. I don't really like that they do this, but I love what they do that.
0: Yeah. And the book she's talking about is Atomic Habit by James Clear. It's a classic of just start little atomic sized habits. So (laughs) Yeah. That was what got me to be like, okay, I don't have to brush all my teeth. I just have to brush one tooth. Okay. Like yeah, that. One percent. Right. One tooth. And then I might keep going, but like only have to brush one tooth. Yeah. The thing that's really cool about growing up like this is that we can spend so long in a single barn with a single trainer that we can kind of forget that there's other ways of doing things. Right. And you yes. well, this must be the only way the, the entire world does this right yeah so like i even just little things like i'm thinking of my brain right now is like polo wraps like i grew mm-hmm. up and you would always wrap the polo wrap like you know under the fetlock too mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now like i see so many people in western disciplines who don't do that and i think it's and you know all, all the you know weird like there's money mm-hmm. they don't and so just even little things like that where it's really cool that you've been able to be exposed to so many different ways of doing things to be able to bring together, just take what works and leave the rest. And that's a really healthy way to grow and improve. Yes. And you don't even have to change trainers
1: for that. Even spending like a weekend at a show, you can learn so much if you pay attention, good and bad. You can see people that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't like how they're doing now. Like, oh, I never thought about doing it that way. Whether that seeing people ride at midnight or just how they carry the horse right before they go and there's so many opportunities to learn and grow just even watching like you're still in the same barn but you're watching what a, a barn down the way goes or how stuff like that and I've seen that of how like different barns will have a certain ways even just how they set up their aisle and then it will like the rest of the aisles will look the same over the next three years and so you just kind of find it's going to work for you but you can always learn always learn. <laughs>
0: I love it. I always say that curiosity is a superpower and Mm -hmm. demonstrating that in such a healthy way that just being curious, like really not coming at it from a perspective of this is wrong, that's different, like you. Oh, what are they doing? And the perspective of curiosity about how different folks do things and the perspective of, yes, I can learn something from everybody, even if I learned that I don't prefer to do it that way that's really like, it takes you so far to have that just open curiosity and learning.
1: I mean, for sure. A hundred percent. And I mean, horse trainers do it all the time. I feel like all of our trainers have mid horse called another person like, oh my gosh, it's not working. Like, what should I do? So even, even no.
0: professionals do it. So there's no reason non-throats care. You no, know? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I love that example of, like, you're like, you literally don't even have to go work with another trainer. You can just show up and go and pop squat and just, you yeah. know. <laughs> you can learn for free. That's so cool. Well, so as you're doing all this, can you think of a memorable moment through your reigning journey where your mental performance or your mindset really played a pivotal role in your success or overcoming a hurdle? Oh, gosh. I feel like there's like every show I've ever had. (laughs) I don't know. Tell several. Um,
1: I remember uh, Well, I start with one, it was the year of 2020, so COVID and the Congress got canceled. So there was the show in Memphis and I was still riding with Sean and I had freckle foot and I think I showed like three times that I did so bad. like I was just awful. that final run like I was I was fed up with it um just because I wasn't performing my best and at the time I didn't have a lot of the same tools I have now so I was very lost frustrated and I just finally was like you know what we're gonna do well I don't really care if we both like don't survive like we're gonna do it well because it was just little stupid things that would happen that was just frustrating and I just kind of mentally like was like done (laughs) And we ended up winning that day. We won the class. And I think that was very huge of, I was having very bad runs and I was able to kind of push through it and just have a good run and ended up winning the class. And that was, I remember very huge for me of, it would have been very easy to take that negative of the previous classes and bring it in. And that's what I was doing before. So to finally just kind of like close it, shut it down and just go perform well that day. I think that was a huge, Turning point that I still look back on, even today, of like, okay, I had a few bad runs with Helen. That does not guarantee the next one's going to be like that. I think that was huge for me, just even in life, of like, your breakthrough will happen. Just you got to keep pushing.
0: That is so key. That really is, it feels like a secret to life is that just being <laughs> had a bad, bad run, it doesn't mean you're a bad rider. It doesn't mean yeah. you have a failed team. It doesn't mean that your next <laughs> run. Re- going to be trash it just yeah being able to leave it in the past
1: because that was my mindset a lot of the times was like oh like okay I had a bad show the next show is going to be bad and chances are it would be bad because that was my mindset and so even just those bad runs can serve as such good reflections but they don't have to determine your future
0: so what do you do if you have a bad run now you know she might Mm -hmm. slip on the ground You've got a cold, you kind of get overcome by something. What do you do now if you have a bad run?
1: So, normally, how me and my trainer do it, Robin and Cole, we go watch the video, say what we did well, what we didn't do well. And a lot of times, and I never used to do this before, but I'd go back and look at it as well. Again, afterwards, kind of slowed the time down of like, okay, this is what I was thinking. Um, and thankfully Robin and Cole this year were very informative as well. So they'd explain something of like, yeah, okay, I never thought about that, but that's what I was doing. And so having people like that in your corner that can watch those runs with you, I think are huge and beneficial. And even if it's just your friend of like, hey, can you watch this with me? Like, I can't figure out like what I did wrong. They might see something that you're you're not thinking of because you're in the moment. And I think that's huge. Then just kind of when you're warming up that next day or the next show, think about, okay, make it that your one goal. Like for me at the Derby, I remember I missed a lead change. I didn't set her up properly. And so the last day I was there, I was like, okay, my one goal is to get that lead change. (laughs) It doesn't matter anything else. If I get that one lead change, I'm going to be so happy. And I made that a focus of my run and I got that lead change and we ended up having a really good ride. I think that's helped me a lot of like, okay, if I'm going through a rough patch, okay, I'm constantly missing leads. I'm constantly like trotting out of my rollback. Make that your single singular goal for that next run. Even if you have to go in a lower level class, so you're not paying the entry fees, um, but just make that your goal of, okay, I'm going to make sure I get my rollback, get my leg and not trot out of there. And I think that's helped me a lot.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, because I I heard you saying that you like to review your runs and you're both reviewing the runs from a technical standpoint of Mm -hmm. I want to understand my score. And so like, oh, why did I get this score? I don't quite connect it. But the other thing you said that was really cool is that you're also connecting your technical maneuver to your mindset at that moment. And so if something Mm -hmm. is going particularly well or you, you know, blow it, you can be like, oh, yeah, because, you know, I'm sure like with Rainers, you might be like, oh, I overspun to the right because I was busy thinking about my spin to the left, you know? Yeah, like, true. oh, I can catch that. So you're connecting mm-hmm. your mind and your physical performance. And then you're also giving yourself, like we talked about earlier, like a specific tiny goal for each run. So you're putting of mm-hmm. success on your terms instead of I mean, we all want to win. We all want to be cashing. Yeah. You know, yeah. But instead of being like, well, it's going to be a failure and I need to beat myself up if we don't win everything. And it's kind of like, OK, my number one goal is cleanly change. Mm-hmm. And it really makes you so much more empowered and focused. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yes, I have a positive forward focus for this run. And that's a totally different mind spot than like, I'm going to blow it up again. I can't mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. So you're shifting. You're taking that same scenario and shifting it into just such a healthier perspective on how to Mm -hmm. handle it. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really worked out for
1: me. That may not work for some people. Or you can find it like, oh, I get what she's saying, but I can do it this way. Go for it. Like, this is not. (laughs) Go for it.
0: Well, what if you have an amazing run? So, what do you do now if you have a really great run? Thankfully, I've had um, a few. So, if I have a really great
1: one, um, oh gosh, <laughs> this is a great question. Um I,
0: Do you acknowledge? Like,
1: I feel like a lot of people, and I know myself, we take the really good run, but then we don't really reflect on it, which I think could be as damaging as not reflecting on the bad run because if you don't I know agree. what well. <laughs> If you don't know what went well, how can you do it in the future? So yeah. you can be like, oh, I really did that well. Or, okay, that finally worked. Oh, whether that's a lead change or stops or whatever. um, And you can learn just as much from a good run. And I know I used to be of like, oh, okay, I got my 70 plus run. I'm good. And not like back at it as much as you, as you should have because you can learn that much more from it as well. I think that was a big learning point for me. I, and embracing those runs as much as yeah. the other. And the bad runs and even in life I feel like we always tend to like look at the negatives a hundred times more than the positives and so just kind of making that shift as well
0: yeah it's important because if you don't you kind of treat a good run like a fluke when you do that yeah like, oh my god yeah. now there's nothing to learn there instead of like how did I prepare how much sleep did I get the night because I know I always have better runs when I have better sleep Yeah. You know, kind of <laughs> yeah. just matching up to all of these things of like, what can I learn from it? What can I replicate in the future to have more good?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, and and even just acknowledging it. Cause I think sometimes we can feel it feels not humble to embrace yeah. oh, I had a really great run. We did incredible. My horse <laughs> was the best. And so yeah. <laughs> I feel like uncomfortable to revel in that, to allow yourself to feel really good about it and also to learn from it.
1: No, a hundred percent. And I think that's helped me a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, how about, so we're all human. And so I think many of our listeners are going to have their own mental obstacles, physical obstacles. They're going to have something mm-hmm. that is their big challenge. So what sort of advice would you give them in terms of building mental resilience and just pushing through adversity?
1: Oh, gosh! This is a great question too And it's one of those that it's kind of reminds me of like a fingerprint like everyone has their own individual story of their own yeah. individual fingerprint, gosh, so it's hard to give like a street corner like advertisement just oh, <laughs> um, wander then you know like... <laughs> um I think for me is it took it took a lot. I struggled a lot in my life, and even last semester, that was probably the I mean, that was only a couple months ago, but that was the hardest point I've ever been through in my life. It was quite awful. And my mental health was pretty much zero. So I'm working very hard now to become a student of it and build back up. And I have a lot and I'm making really good decisions for me to get out of that kind of situation. I think that no matter what adversity, I guess my biggest thing is just because you're going something that the news or the media or social media may think of like, Not as big, like it's still important. And growing up, I always try to say, like, yeah, I have one hand. And yes, that's really important, but that doesn't make me greater or less than someone. Like, just because someone goes through depression, like that's huge for them. That is their kind of one hand or cancer or something like that. And I feel like society ranks kind of adversities in a way of like, if you have this, no one can be worse off than you. Or if you have depression, like everyone's so much happier than you. So just kind of owning your differences in a good way of like, yeah, I struggle with this, but it's important to me. I'm trying to think of a good way to word this because just because you're going through something doesn't, you're not struggling as much as the next person or you're not struggling less than, because um, I feel like people get wrapped up with, oh, I have this, but I don't have cancer. I have this, but I come from a good family. And I think it's very important to kind of own your truth in a way that will help you get over it or push through it. Because I think people get in a rut of, okay, I have depression, but it's not, I could be homeless. And so they never get past their depression because they put it down. They make themselves feel lesser because they're dealing with it when their life is good otherwise. And I think that really helped me a lot of. I used to say, well, I have one hand, but it could be so much worse where instead of like, yeah, I have one hand, like it's hard some days. And I think kind of focusing on myself and focusing on my battles that I do face or people that people face battles every day. So I think owning your truth and owning what you go through, it can help the next person a lot. I I really think it can.
0: Yeah. The phrase that's coming to mind that I don't know if people still say this, but princess problems. And so, where it just is very like devaluing of whatever you're going through, kind of mm-hmm. exactly what you were saying, like, well, maybe I'm depressed, but like we have a nice house, or maybe like, yeah, you know, but I don't have cancer, and it mm-hmm. it really circumvents like any sort of feeling and processing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way for you to honor and feel those emotions, and if you mm-hmm. don't ever okay. allow yourself to feel what you're going through. That can be as little as like, I'm really disappointed that we had a bad run to I am, you know, I broke my leg or I'm feeling extremely depressed. Like if you don't allow yourself to honor those feelings and just feel them, then they bottle up and can just explode mm-hmm. out instead of allowing yourself to feel them. And then whatever comes next. And
1: Yeah, sure. at least that's how I always thought of it, of how I used to think about it and now how I how think about it. it. and Honestly, for me, growing up, I was very scared of therapy. It was like a very, like, very negative. I think I read way too many books that were like anti-therapy or whatever uh, the fiction were. And so I was very scared of it. And I was very scared of, oh, for a variety of reasons. But I've gone through some really hard times. And so I kind of have to go now. And it's honestly helped me a ton of just kind of thinking about those things. Sometimes therapy works for a lot of people, but sometimes it doesn't. And I think my biggest thing is that is don't be afraid to try it. You can always, whether that's therapy, talking to someone, talking to your friend, your mom, um, your trainer, even if you're scared about something in the pen, talk to them. If it doesn't go well, don't do it again. Just move on to something else. But I think my biggest advice is try it. You can always not go again or not do that thing. But if it's going to help you, why not try it?
0: Oh, well, that's really beautiful. Thank you for just thank you for sharing, because I think that things are really changing where people are starting to get a lot more comfortable reaching mm-hmm. out for help. And maybe yeah. a therapist works. Maybe they you try like five therapists or yeah, <laughs> try Something else. But just being willing to, you know, like, I just think you have such a beautiful perspective through everything you've talked about of being curious and learning and whether that's learning more about your horse, learning more about your mental health, learning from other riders, like you just are approaching everything was just such, I think, a beautiful empathy and a beautiful like curiosity and care in a way that is very accepting. And it makes me want to go to a show with you. Just you know, I no, I mean, I'm really complimenting you because I used to be so much more judgmental Um, when mm-hmm. I was younger and I've gotten like a lot so much. Better. But that was the real growth point for me personally. It was kind of coming with that, like empathy and understanding. I mean, at this point, I could see just about anything and I'm like, well, they're probably doing the best they can. Like I, I got nothing to say, you know. <laughs> Like, you no, know, for sure. And anyway, it's just, it's really beautiful. So. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm ex- glad you're here in the horse community.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Again, it's been, and it continue will continue to be a lifelong process. And I think I've just had some situations where I've had to grow through that and kind of had to go through that in the personal and horse world. And I think that's probably fast forwarded my track. No, okay. But, great. Um, but if I can help anybody, that would make it all worth it. So.
0: Yeah, because that's the other thing that I really agree with that you brought up is that like horses, it's so normal to think of horses as our escape or horses is mm. so separate from our private lives. And you're like, well, they're very entangled. It's all connected because you're still you. So, yeah, exactly. And I th-
1: found that's where I grew a lot as a rider of just realizing that, okay, I wasn't confident. If I'm not confident going to the store, how am I going to be confident when I'm riding? And I, trainers always say and people always say horses lose 20% of what you kind of teach them in the show pen. Well, that kind of goes the same for you. So if you're going through some (laughs) mental issues outside or you're kind of struggling with whatever, that's just only going to be magnified with nerves and stuff like that. You may not be thinking about it, but the brain has a funny way of thinking the same.
0: Yeah. Well, so I guess my last question here that I'm thinking of would be You've talked about things that you do before you do a run and you've talked about therapy as well. Do you have any sort of daily habits or things that you do that help you with your confidence in facing this stuff?
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I've created like a whole morning routine that I do now, Yeah. Um, just especially after reading Atomic tablets and just becoming a student of it, of mental health that I can really learn from it and use it because. At first, when I was younger, of like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I get pressured, I quit. And so once I become a student of it, I can learn and apply these techniques. So I have a certain time I get out of bed every day. And then I take CODA out. I do that. I journal. I found that all people used to say journal, journal. And I used to be like it off like, like no, like I'm not a diary person. But I it found it's a really good way to kind of release any negative thoughts I have going into the day or anything I'm thinking of just kind of dump it out and move on with my day and um, I found that to be really helpful um drink a lot of water exercise eat healthy meditate that's huge I never really used to even think about it but um Michigan quarterback at the time JJ yeah. McCarthy talked a lot about it and how it's helped him and so I became again a student of it and still learning through it. it and I have this time though like. It, People may be listening. Like I don't have that time. Like I have a job responsibility. I kind of have this time to learn, but you can still incorporate different things. So let's just say, um, it's called habit stacking. But if you brush your teeth and you want to meditate, well, will meditate for a minute after you brush your teeth. So when you brush your teeth, you automatically think of meditating. Or you want to exercise, we'll put as soon as you get home from work, change into your exercise clothes. So just there are so many ways that you can do it no matter what your life is, what your responsibilities are. And I've already seen where they're kind of building blocks. It may seem like you are getting nowhere, but it does work over time.
0: Well, I am just so glad that you came on. Thank you so much. It's just so lovely to talk with you and just to hear you putting all these things into practice. And it makes me want to catch back up again with you in like six months. (laughs) If (laughs) you keep doing it, you're going to get even stronger because you're right that it is a lifelong practice. It's one of the things that I yes. think a lot of like adult writers kind of by surprise is that they think like that it's so fixed, right? That it's like, oh, I'm yeah. confident as a non pro, non confident as an adult, or like, why do I feel different at different times in my life? And kind of realizing that no, it's a constant practice, it's not a fixed trait. So doing the things that you're talking about, like journaling, meditation, taking mm-hmm. time every day to exercise water it adds up and it makes a big difference and so i'm just so grateful for you for sharing just with everybody <laughs> Thank you know, you. i think that's a lot of what the horse community needs is people hearing it's not just olympic athletes it's not just no. <laughs> football players it's also like hey do you know that this works for horse folks too
1: yes, yes. like yeah.
0: tell me more and you're like, yeah. <laughs>
1: And I truly believe the more you take care of yourself outside of the ring, the more you're going to show up in the ring. I mean, you think of runners or you think of any other athletes, if they eat like crap or they do, they don't take care of themselves, so there's no way they're going to be able to perform their sport. I feel like horses was thought of as just kind of separate in a lot of ways when it really is no different. Yeah,
0: I think it's really evolving just into more of a sport because it's had such a mm-hmm. historical, you know, background and the roots are as much more applied work and so if you need to grow out of those working roots into more of a sport it's an evolution of being as athletes so yeah exactly exactly <laughs> well is there anything else you want to share today um just
1: thank you so much for having me on even if this helps one person then it's awesome and that no matter who you are, what you want to accomplish, you can do it. You just got to believe in yourself.
0: Oh, and then I'll put your info in the show notes for the podcast. But Perfect. if I want to find you on Instagram and see your amazing Helen too, <laughs> I can you share your your Instagram handle? Um,
1: and It's sliding. I'll spell it out because okay. a lot of people get chipped up on it, but it's um, at S l-i-d-i-n-g underscore and underscore spinning um and yeah always be real, feel free to dm i'm always open to dms i love meeting new people i've got a lot of friends through instagram so i'm always open to more and if you have any questions or need some mental health help or guidance i'd always be happy to help <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much, Lexus. It's just been my pleasure (laughs) to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing with us today.
1: Thank you again for having me on. It's been an honor.
0: You're so welcome.